son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. This episode is brought to you by Too Faced Cosmetics and Better Than Sex Mascara. The name literally says it all. This mascara is that good. There is a formula for anyone and everyone available in original, waterproof, and chocolate that thickens, lengthens, and curls to give you all the drama and volume. Or try the new Naturally Better Than Sex. It has a 98% naturally derived formula. Shop Too Faced Better Than Sex Mascara at Sephora today. Ohio is getting some unwanted attention nationally for subjects we've been talking about for a long time on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin and Courtney Astolfi. Laura Johnston's off this week. Uh, the story we're talking about is first up on the list. Let's go. We've all known for a long while how long how the far to the right fringe conservatives have used gerrymandering to pass laws that most Ohioans don't support. But suddenly, Ohio's torching of democracy has national attention. I love the torching of democracy line. It comes right from what we're talking about. Lisa, what am I talking about? Yeah, there's an article in New Yorker magazine written by Jane Meyer about the whole General Assembly in Ohio and the gerrymandering that's been going on since 2010. In the article, she basically calls the GOP-dominated General Assembly, quote, a center of extremist legislation and radically out of sync with Ohio constituents. And as I said, you know, we had a, you know, the census, every 10 years we draw new maps after the census. So in 2010, we had a highly gerrymandered map that that led to a Republican supermajority in the assembly, but also led to voters voting to change all that and to get rid of gerrymandering. But did that help this year? No, it did not. The article also singled out uh, House Speaker Bob Cup and Senate President Matt Huffman as the most powerful, you know, people in the legislature, and uh, they're the ones that kind of crafted this veto-proof supermajority and creating legislation under that banner. They also talked about the Center for Christian Value. Meyer says that the, this group commands unusual influence in Ohio government and is helping author some of the most extreme legislation that's being passed. It also stated that basically the legislature is going against the will of voters on abortion, gun legislation, despite polling showing otherwise. So yeah, it was an interesting to see that it's, it's attracted national attention. It's a good piece. If you if you are from outside of Ohio and you haven't seen what we've all been dealing with for some years now, this is an eye opener because I don't think I, I'm not a native Ohioan. I grew up on the East Coast. I always thought of Ohio as kind of a centrist state. But this article says we're passing legislation that's to the right of South Carolina. You want to talk about a measurement you don't want to the right of South Carolina. And, and what's sad is that it, it doesn't matter. The, the, the conservatives said, ah, that's a left wing magazine. Who cares what mm -hmm. they say? 
but everything in the article is true. We have all pointed it out. I hear from people that are moving or seriously consider moving from Ohio because they feel like it no longer makes any sense. And they have torched democracy. The laws they pass don't represent what Ohioans want. And and there's no end in sight. It just keeps coming and coming. It, it's So it's a very strong piece, and I'm, I'm glad that that others can see it. I do wonder if anything will be done to make it right. You pointed out that voters did try to make it right through the changing of the law, but Mike DeWine and his cohorts on the redistricting commission didn't uphold their vow to uphold the Ohio constitution. They defied the Ohio Supreme court. They did not do their job. I don't understand how any of them can stay in office. I mean, if you had to pick a single issue, you know, most people say you shouldn't use a single issue, but if you had to pick a single issue, defying the constitution you swore Mm -hmm. to uphold is the one it's okay. You didn't do your job. You should not have the job. It doesn't matter what else you did. My question is, what do you think the folks at Intel, thought when they saw the New Yorker article. They're about to build a gigantic chip factory here. They've got to attract all sorts of highly educated employees to live in Ohio, and they may not want to. I don't know. I, you know, I think this article does bring Ohio out into the open, but we have been flying under the radar. I mean, whenever you hear about extremist legislation, it's always like Mississippi, Louisiana, Arizona. I mean, you never hear Ohio mentioned. So they, this puts us into the national conversation. I don't know how effective that will be. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see how the dice get rolled here. It's a national embarrassment. We look terrible. We, we are anti-democratic. We, we are defying the will of the people. Uh, that is a terrible look for a state to have when it's seeking to have economic development. The November elections will be interesting. It's today in Ohio. South Euclid's longtime controversial municipal court judge surprised everyone when she abruptly quit recently. Now we know where she will next pound her gavel. Courtney, where is that? On the TV for for all to watch. Yeah, Judge Gail Williams Byers is heading to an A&E show called Court Night Live. And it's going to be with that well-known TV judge, Judge Mathis. There's going to be a handful of other former judges on this program kind of doing that standard judge TV show thing, civil arbitration cases. The show premieres at 9 p.m. Wednesday and, and Williams Byers is going to be one of several several judges on the program it's going to be filmed in front of a live audience in a few different cities and uh you know we wonder how we got here right but a and e is not telling how and why it chose william byers as as one of the people on their program but we know from the many stories we've written about her over the years that she's highly controversial she was at war with the city council so much so that the city council has petitioned the state to dissolve the court and put them into another court district because they said she was out of control with her budget. Her records were not auditable. I mean, it was pretty much a nightmare battle. And, and at one point the city just referred people who complained about the court to the Supreme court, which led her to try and hold people in contempt of court. So you got to think that the producers of the show are looking for controversy. It makes for good TV. Well, like you said, there, there's just been a lot of drama in her courtroom in recent years that we've chronicled. She she, she did hold the, the city's police chief in contempt for not sending her 
emails. Uh, it, it's part of one of the incidents you were talking about. So, I mean, holding the police chief in contempt, those budget issues, she's come under fire for for traveling, you know, absurd travel kind of spending and using public dollars to do that. She's just been one kind of headline after another. And you got to think that maybe makes her right for TV. Yeah. If they're looking for controversy, they certainly found it. And if that's the kind of show that this is, then she's probably ideal for it. I uh, will have to see how she does in TV land. And as a reader pointed out, it obviously involves travel to those other cities. And as you noted, <laughs> we chronicled how she likes to travel. So we'll have to see what the next chapter is for our former judge. It's today in Ohio. At first blush, it might seem silly for Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb to be at the White House to watch President Joe Biden sign the CHIPS Act that will benefit the big Intel plant going in in Columbus. But Bibb and Intel are not unrelated, it turns out. Courtney, how have they come together? Yeah, Mayor Bibb wants Cleveland to get a piece of this pie in some kind of way. You know, this this plant is headed for outside of Columbus, but Bibb sees lots of opportunities to 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 you know, bring some of its prosperity to Cleveland. And and that's why he went to D.C. yesterday. You know, our, our reporter Sabrina Eaton talked to him after the signing of the bill outside the White House. And, and he said his administration's been meeting with Intel for several weeks to talk about what Northeast Ohio could bring to the table here. And he wants to see, you know, Cleveland become a hub to support all the, the extra investments that will come beyond just the plant itself. He wants this area's companies to get a share of contracts to supply the plant. And he also wants Cleveland students to have a way to kind of enter into Intel's workforce pipeline. So he said he he spoke with Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger yesterday before the bill signing to make this pitch. And he was there to kind of rub shoulders and, and bring some of this home. Yeah, when I first heard he was going to be there, I thought, oh, come on, you've been in office seven months, stay home, do your job. But it turns out he had been doing his job. If his administration's been talking to Intel for weeks about how to have Cleveland capitalize on having this thing down there, that's that's forward thinking. Obviously, Intel will need suppliers. Obviously, Intel's going to need some regional support. And a lot of people have thought that Cleveland has a lot of industry that could feed that. But for him to be that proactive, then it makes a lot of sense for him to be down there because it shows that Cleveland is serious. I Did you have any idea that they were working with them or was that all under the radar? Didn't hit my radar. Yeah. So keeping that under wraps. But, but this has been, you know, kind of Bibb's MO since we've seen him in office. He has been traveling a lot. He's gotten, he's gone to D.C. a handful of times. He's met with these mayor groups, but it's kind of part of his approach to being mayor. He, you know, he said he's using those opportunities to network and talk through things with folks to try and bring policy and ideas back home. And this seems to be an example of that philosophy. And you recently looked at his travel records and we saw nothing alarming. He's not he's not spending money like the former judge we mentioned a little while ago. Uh, seems to be yeah, no, no. making sense what he's Not doing. to that. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. The One Ohio Recovery Foundation Board is supposed to be a good thing, an agency that distributes hundreds of millions of dollars in opioid settlement money for the betterment of Ohio. But it is already controversial. Lisa, why is it in hot water this week? 
Yeah, not a very auspicious beginning for this 29-member board. So a pair of lawsuits were filed by Harm Reduction Ohio, which is a nonprofit drug policy group and also the state's largest distributor of naloxone. They're claiming that the One Ohio Recovery Foundation Board is holding closed meetings and not responding to their document requests. They held their inaugural meeting back in May, and Harm Reduction President Dennis Cochon says he was not allowed to attend, even though as an an alleged nonprofit, they would be open to that. And the state said that they would have open meetings. So this 29-member board will be deciding how to distribute $440 million of the total $800 million settlement that the state got with three opioid distributors. Um, It includes state and local government leaders, including Council President uh, Armin Budish, uh, treatment experts, and others. But one Ohio, in their suit, they said that um, the the board is claiming that they're not subject to open records because they're a private entity. But they also said the suit says that they're not yet recognized as a 501c3, uh, you know, nonprofit. So they're a government entity and as such should be, you know, beholden to open records requests and open meetings. And Governor DeWine uh, Flack, Dan Tierney, says that this board is not a government agency and they've been transparent all along. Here's the thing: the, the, they're they're distributing public money. That makes it automatically public. You have to be transparent. The fact that they're closing their meetings and playing this game actually raises all sorts of sinister questions about whether Mike Dewine has got an agency distributing money in sinister ways to provide money to his cronies. This needs to be transparent. The idea that it's not raises questions. We're the big transparency people, but this is inexcusable. Dan Tierney should have been the first one to say, what? They're not open in their meetings. We'll get right on it. That must be public and transparent. His answer was balderdash. And I'm sure if we get to talk to Mike DeWine for our editorial endorsement interview, we'll be asking him why he is allowing this to happen. I do want to point out that uh, Mr. Cochon with Harm Reduction Ohio is using a a term that you love. He's calling this a slush fund. If there's not going to be any transparency over it, then it's a slush fund in his mind. He's right. You can't. This is public dollars. This the, the reason this money has been put together is the public of Ohio was abused by these companies. The 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 settlement is to to reimburse Ohioans for that damage. This board is supposed to find the best use of that public money. And the fact that they're doing it secretly secretly says slush fund, slush fund, slush fund. We have a massive corruption scandal going on in the state house with Larry Hellsolder and HB6. This is hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Mike DeWine, get off the stick. Order it to be transparent or questions will continue to plague it. Uh, I'm glad that the these folks have raised hell about it and we'll continue to follow it. It's today in Ohio. Oberlin College has an outstanding $36 million judgment against it because courts found it damaged a bakery's reputation via student protests. Why is the court saying it does not have to pay the cash just yet, Courtney? Yeah, this is a temporary hold on the payment, right? So the Ohio, so 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 the money could still have to change hands, but the Ohio Supreme Court ruled Tuesday that the college can hold off paying up while appeals are working their way through the court system. So a pause, the money could still need to to change hands here, but 
that really ultimately depends on the, the final outcome of the case with this ruling on Tuesday. So Gibson's Bakery, which has been around for like over 100 years, they'd sued Oberlin School for this 2016 incident in which the bakery owner's son confronted three black students, one um, who, who was caught stealing from the bakery. The bakery accused the college as part of this brouhaha of libeling them and, and hurting their business in the response to this incident. In April, three judges on you know the Ohio Ninth District Court of Appeals upheld a trial court judge's 2019 ruling that awarded the bakery those millions in punitive and compensatory damages. But Oberlin's appealing that finding from the appeals court to the Ohio Supreme Court. We don't know if the top court's going to take it up yet, but they did come down with this decision. What's really interesting here is that they didn't really explain why they were putting a pause on this case. This was a big political flashpoint when it happened in 2016. So politics are swirled up in here. They, they, they didn't really expound upon why. Yeah, this is a huge cause for conservatives uh, who really looked at Oberlin as the liberal college bastion. Uh, it'll be interesting the timing of the Ohio Supreme Court, if it's after January where it would be decided, it, then whoever the chief justice is will play a key role. If it's Sharon Kennedy, she's shown politics plays a big role in how she votes and Oberlin is going down. It's today in Ohio. Yeah, and we People walking downtown near Tower City say the place is a bit scary these days, especially at night. We've seen a lot of reports of crime down there, people getting mugged. It's not pedestrian friendly at all right now. What does the owner of Tower City plan to change that? Lisa. Yeah, the owner is Bedrock, and it's a, it's a real estate group, and they will begin this fall to implement plans to improve the downtown streetscape around Public Square and Terminal Tower. Um, they want it to make it more welcoming and pedestrian-friendly. They're looking at things like trees, planters, places to sit. Um, the City Planning Commission approved the concept unanimously, although we don't know the final cost of this or who's going to bear this cost. I assume it's Bedrock. Um, Bedrock is working with Land Studio, which is a nonprofit that uses public art to engage residents. And they did want to say that whatever they build, they had a few renderings that we, we have in the cleveland.com article about this, but nothing really specific yet. But it looks like greening it up, making it more walkable and that kind of thing, places to sit. Um, but they did, Bedrock did recently open Skylight Park. I didn't know this. I'm going to have to visit. But it's an indoor urban park within Tower City that opened last month in collaboration with the Conservative for Cuyahoga Valley National Park. So this is obviously part of a, a plan to make Tower City just more welcoming. Yeah, but around the outskirts of Tower City, it's very forbidding. If you walk around down there, and I hear from people that say they don't feel safe, especially as the sun goes down, I'm not sure that what they're talking about will change that. They almost need to put some security there. You know, remember when the casino opened, they opened a bridge to the garage so people mm -hmm. never have to go down to the street level and <laughs> reduce some of the street traffic. A healthy street is one that's filled with people, and you don't really have that right now. We'll have to see how this one turns out. they got a long way to go to make that place feel welcoming. It's Today in Ohio. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Bonus, 
We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-patrollable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The wrongful arrest of a guy on a no longer valid arrest warrant could be leading to an entirely new policy for when Cleveland police arrest anyone based on a warrant. Courtney, what happened to this guy and what is the proposed change to make sure it doesn't happen to anyone else? Yeah, this was a really interesting little piece by John Tucker. So it involves Terry Davey, who was pulled over in December 2020 by Cleveland police. He was cuffed. His car was searched. He was moved locations. His phone was seized and police were conducting an investigation to try and track him down to arrest him on some outstanding warrants. Problem was, by the time they reached him and detained him, he'd already turned himself in on those warrants. So they'd already been, you know, served and satisfied. He'd already appeared in court and he'd already been released on bond. So the Civilian Police Review Board found some issues with this. They recommended discipline for two officers, including a sergeant in the gang unit who was kind of in charge of this arrest. And in this, they kind of found that the city's policies didn't didn't prevent the, the the problem was was that they did not check their system to see that the warrant had already been served and there was no policy that required them to check the system and the police review board found this to be a loophole and they suggested a policy change recommending that officers have to go back and check to make sure the warrants still good before they move in to arrest people and start surveilling them. Yeah, I feel for the police on this one because they're actually trying to arrest people on warrants. So they, they see there's an active warrant for this guy. They go about trying to find him. And their policy and procedures didn't include the, the last-minute check. So they they did what they do. They, they finally find the guy. They had the warrant. They take him in. Uh, I, and so it, it's odd in my mind that there's discipline here because this was more of a, a structural issue. John Tucker's story really lays this out very clearly. And the civilian review board is exactly right. They should change their policy so that before you put anybody in handcuffs, you just double check to make sure the warrant's still good. Of course, that relies on the court system to have updated it. And as we know, court records can be pretty sketchy too. Yeah, and it would also require police's internal system to have recorded it, and and there can be issues there. You know, a lot of that data is not completely up to date. I also thought it was interesting that Lieutenant Jim O'Malley, the president of the union who represents higher-ranking, you know, police officers, he, he kind of noted that doing warrant checks actively can take 15 or 20 minutes, so he kind of pointed out some logistic problems with this proposed new policy. If you're hanging around waiting for 20 minutes on a warrant check, the, the person could be off and in another county by then. So he found some logistical issues. But John also talked to some law professors and other experts who said that, you know, 
not having this policy can can lead to more distrust with the public. People feel like they're being harassed because they took care of their obligations and here they are getting pulled over anyway. So there's a little yeah, bit. The, look, the, the city needs to do sides. whatever it takes to not arrest people that are not wanted. So the, the civilian review board is right. Fix it. Don't this cannot happen again. If there's a 20 minute delay in checking the warrants, fix that. But the worst thing you can do is to say, well, the system's broken. We'll lock them up and figure it out later. You're depriving people of their liberty. And this guy didn't have it coming. I, I, the, I, is it clear whether he has sued or anything? I don't think we know that, right? Yeah. I didn't Good story. see a reference. It's on cleveland.com. You can read it there. It's today in Ohio. The folks who oversee Playhouse Square went all the way to England to find their next CEO. And it is someone with a pretty good resume, Lisa. Who is he? He is 57-year-old Craig Hassall, if I'm pronouncing that right, or Hassel. He has a long and distinguished career in the performing arts management industry. He's leaving his post as CEO at London's Royal Albert Hall to come to Cleveland. He previously held jobs with the English Ballet and Opera Australia and also had a hand in um, arranging the 2000 Sydney Olympics and the 2012 London Olympics. He will come to Cleveland next year. He has to finish out the London Christmas season before he comes. Uh, Hassel says he's honored and excited to help take the Playhouse Square to the next level, and he calls it a dynamic and visionary organization. And of course, people don't realize, a lot of people don't realize, that outside of New York, Playhouse Square is the second largest performance arts venue in the U.S. with 11 performance venues overall. So it's not like he's taking a big step down and sounds like, oh my God, he's coming from London to Cleveland. But, you know, this is probably one of the best places he could land. He replaces outgoing CEO Gina Vernacci. Yeah, we all know Playhouse Square is a Cleveland gem. It's one of the rare things you get here that you don't get in other cities. Still, we see a lot of press releases come flooding through our email. This one made you stop and go, wow. I mean, he really has done a lot of big stuff. Olympics and Royal Albert Hall and, and all the things you mentioned. This is, it, it will be very interesting to see what somebody with that kind of an international background comes to Cleveland and sees what he can do here. And what, what will be the next step? What is that higher level he's talking about? He clearly has the bona fides to propose something. He does. And and I think this is a big win for Playhouse Square in Cleveland overall. We will welcome him with open arms. Yeah, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's I'm, this is very exciting. Playhouse Square is exciting. This could make it more so. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Does anyone study what impact this has on children to be surrounded by gambling? What are the latest establishments to want to have sports gambling kiosks for your convenience? Courtney, they're going to be everywhere. It sounds like uh, Kroger and Acme Market uh, are applying for licenses to have kiosks in several of their Ohio grocery stores. So uh, as reporter, as our reporter, Sean McDonald noted, Milk, eggs, and place a bet on the Browns that could soon be coming into the Northeast Ohio grocery list. The only grocery store in Cuyahoga County that's been approved so far for one of these gambling kiosks is Acme and Parma. There's, they also got approved for seven locations in Summit County and one in North Canton. 
Kroger doesn't really have locations in greater Cleveland, but they've been pre-approved for kiosks at 42 grocery stores across the state. And here yeah, we go, I just, gambling at the grocery it's ubiqui- store. It's suddenly the messaging <laughs> about betting is ubiquitous. And we know that a certain percentage of the population has gambling addiction in their genes. And if they start to gamble, they ha- they go down through a downward spiral. We're just going to surround people with the message, bet, 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 bet. Um, you would think that that a parent walking into a grocery store <laughs> wouldn't have to explain that kind of thing to their children. But it just seems like with sports gambling, we are making it everywhere. Yeah. And, and basically what the state told us is that any retailer that holds the right liquor permit that allows for dine-in and carry-out liquor sales and is already a lottery sales agent can apply for these kiosks. So I suppose these kiosks would only be going in places that already facilitate gambling through the sale of lottery tickets. No, No, don't they have to prove, I thought that they had to prove that they had a certain amount of traffic to be able to get one of these. Is that correct? A certain amount of foot traffic? That's not ringing any bells. Oh, I, maybe I that's be, a different okay. type okay. of. Although I would think a grocery store gets the traffic they need. I mean, people are in there all the time. I just it the idea that you're surrounded by that message now seems strange. But I guess you've been surrounded by lottery messages. There's lotto machines in every grocery or many grocery stores. Uh, but this just seems like everybody is trying to get in on this action. Will it's a big social experiment, and we won't know for years what the results are, but. We will eventually. It's today in Ohio, and we're short. I guess that's what happens when Layla and Laura don't join us. <laughs> Thank you, Courtney. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. Layla will be back tomorrow, as will Lisa and Courtney. Thanks for listening. <laughs>